Welcome to Bloody Good Horror. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Bloody Good Horror. My name is Eric, and I'll be your host for this evening, where we will be reviewing Maniac Cop from, I think, 1988. So I was maybe six years old, maybe a little young for this movie. Uh, directed by William Lustig, and I believe written by Larry Cohen, two gentlemen that we're going to talk about profusely tonight, I'm sure. But first up, joining me from Indiana, please welcome Casey. Hello! Rocking the uh, Frankenstein background tonight. I like it. You betcha. Next up on the show, two very special guests tonight. So uh, both Schnars and Joe have forsaken our hearts tonight by taking off the first show in months at the same time, no less. I'm very upset about one of those people. But joining me instead, it's been a crazy long time since this happened. Please welcome the Sophistical Crew. First up, uh, editor of BloodyGoodHorror.com, haver of just a... Uh, pornographic beard is it really the only way I could describe it? <laughs> Please welcome Andy to the show. Oh, hello, boys! <laughs> yeah, you're right away. Your dance to the intro song just got me right in that Andy kind of mood, so I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next up on the show, Andy's partner in crime at Sophisticated Cinema, the BGH spinoff. Please welcome the one and only homeless professor of bloody good horror, Mr. John Shelton. Oh, hey there. Uh, John, John Shelton is, uh, infamous for many reasons at Bloody Good Horror. John, you were one of the, I believe the like first people beyond the OG crew that like came to the site and started writing for us, right? Like a long time ago. It's been a while. Yeah. And for people who don't know why you're the homeless professor was because the first convention we met you at, you just happened to wear this like tweed sport coat with patches on the elbows that I believe you said, like it was the first time you'd ever worn, like you only wore it twice or something. No, it was it was the only jacket I had. It was one that I wore to work sometimes, <laughs> and I didn't know that it's cold in Indianapolis yeah. in like March. Yeah, it was really cold. So uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't pack adequately. So that was the only warm thing I had. So there you go. And you also, John, I should always be noted that you were on the one and only episode of Bloody Horror History that was voluntarily not released. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Little Europa, Europa, Europa Report. Report, a fantastic movie that's basically like reviewing a 90-minute dry documentary with like 20 <laughs> seconds of the most amazing shit you've ever seen. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it's a classic. Yeah. I mean, these days I probably would have put it out. I don't know what was going on. I, I, had, a, I had a rare moment of self-doubt, Shelton, so there we go. Um, good call. Yeah, so we're here tonight to review Maniac Cop. We figured uh, new crew, weird week, let's do something crazy. Um, was in my head. I just had seen that it was on Shutter, and uh, maybe didn't put together the relevance and the timeliness of this movie. Uh, but that's definitely <laughs> something we're gonna get into. So let's let's just jump in right now. Uh, let's review Maniac Cop. This is it, Shutter. Your big break in TV. Not the front time. 
Mr. Andy. Yes, Eric. I like to think of you as like the, you know, the the fancy counterpart to Schnars. Like you're the like uh the bearded bicycle riding, granola eating, bizarro version of Schnars. The Bulgarian Schnars, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. The other cool thing about you that people may not know is that you actually now work for the theater that we screened Reanimator at at our tenure. I do indeed, yeah. Do you want to talk the about Oriental that place theater. a little bit? Yeah, the Oriental Theater in Milwaukee, which is like one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. It's incredible. Yeah, we're actually doing a bunch of renovations right now since we can't show movies, so it's even more beautiful. Yeah, Ooh. wow. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, it's super old. We, we've discussed the smell several times. <laughs> Maybe you'll find the beer bottle that Schnars dropped and rolled down the floor underneath oh, the seats. Shit. Well, I'll tell you what. We did grind the entire floor a couple of weeks ago, and there was one spot where I was just like taped off, and I was like, this is historically relevant. <laughs> relevant. This has to stay. You could put a little plaque there, like John Schnars fell asleep here. It was really cute. It's very strange. He, it's and Eric actually just resisted a, snuggling him. Yeah, it's it's just a spill in his outline. It just stayed just like that. <laughs> it, it really is. Like if people are in Milwaukee in uh, the after time, whatever we're going to call that, like uh, you, you really need to go to the Orient. Like even as hammered as I was, I remember walking in and being like, this place is incredible. It's like, and my favorite part about it is the long dramatic hallway that you walk down to get into the theater where you can see the screen. And then yeah. it just, you come out and it just opens up and there's like these beautiful gold Buddha statues and it's really fucking cool. It's very like old Hollywood American cinema kind of place. Yeah. And if anyone wants to stop by and ask for a tour, I will show you the spill where John was and you can see that the spill is actually growing older. Why John stays the same age. It's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> there's magic in the air there, Andy. What can I say? All right. It is time. Uh, Andy, Mr. Andy, the fancy guy, please bring us the word of the day. Today's word is cherubism. That's C-H-E-R-U-B-I-S-M. And uh, cherubism is a rare genetic disorder that causes prominence in the lower portion of the face. The name is derived from the temporary chubby-cheeked resemblance hmm. to... Um, I'm sorry, I'm not sure what this is. Putty or putty, uh, which is a figure of work of art. Interesting. Uh I was going to say, uh, I really wish Cece was here because she'd probably la be laughing her ass off at that pronunciation. Uh, often confused with cherubs in Renaissance paintings. And you may be asking yourselves, why is this relevant to the film Maniac Cop? Well, our titular Maniac Cop is played by one Mr. Robert Zadar, I believe. is Yeah, that's I, right. I would say that's how you say it, yeah. And uh, he is a uh, long-time... Uh, you know, cult movie actor. He was also a musician and a Chippendales dancer. Oh, and uh, okay. he wow. actually was known for his um, his unique facial features, oh, which shit. were caused by cherubism. Okay, see, I, I did, was not aware that that wasn't just like prosthetics, but 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 it's interesting because they <laughs> lean into it with the makeup. Well, he yeah. was at, uh, he was a horror hound with us once. Was he? And yeah, no, I, I remember seeing that and, huh. and that giant jaw. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't remember that. That's interesting. I wonder which one. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing about um, Robert Zadar, he actually grew up in Chicago, so I'm waiting for the day when Joe has too many Italian beefs and he starts developing Robert Zadar's amazing physique. He's just going to be super ripped. I mean, Robert <laughs> Zadar is a beast of a man. Yes, and in fact, is. 
they really lean into it, into it in the screenwriting. Like every five minutes, somebody's like, "He's so big," and then somebody would be like, "His hands are so giant." It's like, all right, dude. Like, I get it. Well, there is a shower scene in this, and I thought we were going to see a little Zadar Dawn. For I think a you do. Like, I think if you roll it back in slow mo, I'm pretty sure you do. Like in one of the first shots, yeah. Just it some is a very like tender thing. opening sequence. Yeah, just some like steamy, moist shower man wrestling, basically. Um, Andy, I did not prepare you for this, but would you like to give me some info about this movie and synopsize? Oh, I sure would, Eric. Uh, so this film, uh, as Eric mentioned, uh, directed by a William or Bill Lustig, uh, he is mostly known for his, um, you know what is referred to as his debut feature maniac however he did direct two like adult films under the pseudonym of billy bag which has two g's in it oh keep in mind how else would you spell that yeah uh so yeah this is this um so he did maniac then he did another film called vigilante and this is his follow-up to that uh maniac cop was also written written by larry cohen who just has a laundry list of credits of every single thing you can think of. It's, um, yeah, he's one of the most prolific filmmakers in like the cult, like weirdo movie world. I think he's um, still alive. He just no, he, passed he away. Okay, okay. Last year? Okay. Earlier yeah. No, because I heard this 19. really amazing story about him. I thought it must have been a documentary or something I watched, but. I want to say it was John Landis. Oh, no. You know what? It was an episode of uh, Mick Garris's podcast. I don't remember who it was, but they were basically saying that they... Maybe it was Greg Nicotero that, like, they went to visit him once, and he was sick, and it was his friend, and they wanted to go see him, and he was pretending to be dead in his bed. <laughs> and then, like, basically rolled over and was like, ha-ha, I got you. Like, <laughs> seems, like he was a, seems like he was a real character. The sense of humor in all of his movies makes me not surprised by that whatsoever. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, Larry Cohen is known, you know, from a director perspective, he did the stuff, Q, uh, God Told Me To, things like that. Didn't he do It's Alive? He did, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's like the one, my touchstone for him. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, so these are kind of like the two primary, like, altruistic voices involved here. Uh, the plot of Maniac Cop, though, essentially centers on a killers stalking the streets of new york city in the 80s uh essentially dispatching people and uh, bruce campbell plays a police officer who is getting blamed for the crimes and he and uh, a fellow police officer he's having an affair with are attempting to discover the identity of the maniac cop a real saucy affair it's worth mentioning yeah yeah and then there are a lot of questions. <laughs> Which we'll get to. That's wonderful, Andy. Thank you. All right. Uh, John Shelton, welcome to the show. Have you ever seen this before? And just what, how did you how did you feel coming out of this one? Uh, no, this was, this was the first time. This is a movie I've been aware of forever. You know, there's there's three of these Maniac Cop movies, um, you know, coming from from uh, Bill Lustig and Larry Cohen. They're, they're pretty well known, um, but I've never actually seen them. Um, so yeah, it was, it was nice to, to finally uh, see it. Um, and I, I liked it. It's, it's a, it's a pretty cool movie. It's very in that, uh, that, that little sub genre of like super gritty eighties, dirty New York. Yeah, totally. Filthy yeah. streets and, and graffiti and, and, uh, I mean, that, muggers that was obviously like his that. like Cohen's wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, William Lustig too. Yeah. Uh, this is, it's not quite as disgusting as uh maniac totally um it's definitely kind of uh 
toned down and a little more a little little more uh, uh, video store friendly. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it was a cool little movie. It's it's interesting. There's a lot of stuff we can get into uh, later. It's it's um, weirdly not as much of a horror movie as I thought. It's almost an action movie in some ways. Yeah, I, I would argue it's almost more an action movie with a little bit of horror thrown in rather than a horror movie with, uh, I mean, it's really like, some a, action stuff. I mean, it's like a literal like police procedural movie at some point too. Like yeah. there are horror movie moments in the score. And then all of a sudden that like eighties police, like percussion with horns that like will kick in, like in the action scenes and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a fast yeah, hybrid. for and, sure. And also you've got the, uh, the maniac cop, lullaby theme i guess that they played throughout <laughs> yes, yeah like there's one scene there's like a flashback dream sequence where the maniac cop is like taking a little nap in the back of a truck <laughs> as, and, you, uh, as you do when you're a maniac and it, cop. And it's like literally like a music box like lullaby like maniac cop. <laughs> <laughs> i think, I think that it was plays... the inspiration for the um law and order soundtrack actually i think it plays <laughs> over the top too right when they're showing the slow motion like getting dressed sequence I think so. it, does, it definitely was over the, the closing credits it's like very dreamy yeah yeah it's a super interesting score uh casey what'd you think um i i enjoyed this movie this is one i've seen before it's probably i probably haven't seen it since the early 90s but i'd seen it before and it was still fun to go back and visit this is uh kind of the epitome of like 80s kind of slasher horror what you're getting out there it is so it does pack a whole lot of nostalgia which is cool i love the the view of new york city that we get here i mean to be honest it was what four years ago that we all flew out to new york city for a bgh business meeting and my small my my small town minded uh indiana person thought that was for sure what new york city was gonna be like because that's all I knew coming from those movies from the 80s and stuff. So it was interesting to see that and be able to put it in context with the modern times and stuff, too. That was fun. Bruce Campbell's good. There are parts of this movie, um, and we'll get into this later, Eric. You mentioned it in emails. Like, Lustig and Cohen both pack a whole lot of shit into this movie that's going on. And this is one of those movies, like, the first time I went to rewatch this for this show, I get... It was one of those days where I was busy, so I'd sit down and watch 30 minutes of it, pause, come back a couple hours later, watch another 30 minutes, pause, come back. I was so confused because every time you would stop and come back, you're in the middle of a different storyline, and you're like, oh, crap, where was yeah, I? Yeah, there's like 20 <laughs> plot lines in this movie. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> why, why is Tom Atkins not in this movie anymore? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what happened to Tom? Uh, so, and- but. But yeah, it was fun. Tom Atkins movies and uh, especially 80s horror movies. I'm always down for a Tom Atkins scene. So, Andy. Um, we started doing this thing called we call Pandemic Roulette, where basically every Sunday we'll roll a die and we basically will pick a movie based on what that die roll was. And last week we just watched Warriors for the first time in a long time. Warriors. Nice. And watching Warriors and I also rewatched Wolfen recently too, which are like two films that, that deal specifically wild, with yeah. the decay of, you know, New York City and like problems of authority in New York City. And then watching Maniac Cop right after those was a really interesting comparison because those films are about a decade prior to this. Um, watching the opening credits of this film, it's just like a who's who list of character actors and producers and writers and directors i'm like okay i'm into this i'm into this ready for it and then as soon as it starts you know immediately it's like begins with a white woman being mugged by two people of color and i'm like great this is where we're going right out of the bat it's very 80s in that way yeah yeah and then 
as that scene progresses, it eventually starts to turn a little bit. And as the film was like going, I was like, wait a minute, are they going to, you know, turn this into something that's a little bit more, I don't want to say satirical, but like actually turns an eye on abuse of police powers and police forces like in the city. Uh, the film never really gets there. And some would say it's kind of regressive in a lot of its politics. Well, at the same I mean, time, like there's dude, a lot of you're talking like the end of the Reagan era at this point, right? Like, yeah, I think it's yeah. pretty clear the the, mm-hmm. the climate that this movie kind of comes out of. Yeah. And it was which makes it interesting. At, um, uh, like murder rates in New York City earlier today. And this movie was released during like a huge spike. <laughs> so it's easy to kind of see where yeah. a lot of people, I mean, if you read some of the interviews with like Lustig, like he's very much somebody that is going to do that exploitation thing of like drawing on people's real world concerns and kind of exploiting those. Uh, Needless to say though, and this is a conversation like Shelton and I have all the time on like Sophistical, it's always kind of difficult to kind of reconcile your feelings with something you're seeing that's a product of its time and very much geared toward a particular audience. So there's a lot of like salt that has to be sprinkled on this baby. Um, but there's a, some segments of it that I did end up having some fun with. It um, is very delightful. Like, I mean, of course it's loaded in 2020, but it is like, it's, uh, I mean, that's my thing with this movie. So I watched this years ago. I think I was in, uh, no, I was out of college. I think it was probably like a decade ago. I watched this. Um, and all I, re- I didn't really know anything about Larry Cohen at the time, other than that I had seen it's alive. And I remember just thinking like, I've literally never seen anything like this before. And I'm always like down for something like that. You know what I mean? Um, and it's really cool seeing Bruce Campbell in something else. Cause I just wasn't familiar with a lot of his work. And when you see him in something that's not evil dead, a lot of the times it's like a sidekick or a cameo. And like, this is just him playing a regular dude. Uh, yeah, this is, this is one of the rare times when Bruce Campbell isn't playing Bruce Campbell. He's a straight guy in this movie, like fully. Yeah. He's like, he's like <laughs> literally a and figuratively, I guess if you want to talk, go that route. But he, uh, what is so cool about this movie? So now, like, I'm going to say a bunch of things about Larry Cohen in the show, but I don't want people to think I think I'm smart because I learned everything I know about Larry Cohen from last year's Last Drive-In episode about Q the Winged Serpent because Joe Bob Briggs is like, you know, he's so good at not only just knowing that stuff and understanding it, but like watching Q the Winged Serpent, it is so much like this movie, which is a weird thing to say because it's a movie about a friggin' a dragon that like takes residence in a tower in New York City. But what Cohen does and what he very much does here is that the entire movie, you could, there's a whole, there's like three separate movies here that don't even involve a maniac cop killing people. It's like, (laughs) and this is what Cohen does. He packs the movies full of characters. They're all these like really unique New York city ass, like kind of people. And they all have backstories and motivations and life dramas like Bruce Campbell's Bruce. We, we got to talk about how dramatic the actress is playing Bruce Campbell's wife, because I feel like she was acting like she was in fucking Shakespeare and it's really incredible, <laughs> but like, he's got this like, um, infidelity drama going on. And like, there's the woman behind the counter or the woman at the evidence, like she's got a whole fucking backstory and Tom Atkins has a whole backstory. Like, and like Casey said, you walk away for five minutes, you're not paying attention. You come back, you feel like you're watching a different movie. And then also in the middle of this, like all these people are being murdered by Robert Zadar. And so, and that stuff's really crazy too, because it feels like a slasher movie, but it also very much feels like a New York City movie. And sometimes it's an action movie. And so what's really cool about this is it's that Cohen sensibility mixed with that William Lustig, um, like exploitation thing. But 
like if you compare this right as like maniac was 1980 like beginning of the decade to end of the decade he's clearly such a stronger filmmaker he clearly had so much more money here like some of the stunts in this movies this movie are bananas like i they're fucking lucky nobody died on this movie. Like, there's a stunt where, <laughs> especially in this car chase, there's a stunt where this guy, it's, he, it's just a dude. He's not even a character in the movie. He, I think he was supposed to be working at, like, a parking gate. And this truck driven by Robert Zadar for, like, 20 straight minutes in the finale of this movie, Bruce Campbell is just bouncing around the back of this car like a bouncy ball, this uh, paddy wagon or whatever. And he, um, I can say that because I live in Boston. And he, um, <laughs> he, uh, he goes to just like blast through this parking thing and the guy goes like the guy jumps out of the way. But what it what it ends up being in like stuntman world is the guy jumps up in the air and allows the car at full fucking speed to hit him in the leg to spin him off of the car. Yeah. And all I could think was, how did that guy not break his fucking leg? It's complete mm-hmm. and because you know like they shot some of this stuff without permits, or you know they shot it very cheaply on the run. It's just crazy to think some of the things they pulled off in this movie with no CGI. Um it was really made with catering. Yeah, really well. So I wasn't 100% sure what to expect, but I loved this thing on a rewatch. And like, because it's got that Cohen thing driving it, there's just so much to dig into. Like every scene has stuff in it that's interesting. Um, yeah, this was not the movie that I thought, because I, I, like I said, I, I've been aware of Maniac Cop for years. And I always kind of had an idea of like what it was. And I thought, you know, it's a slasher movie, except there's a cop killing people. That's the, you know, that's the monster. Um, you know, I figured he was going to be killing criminals or something on the street that it would start out with, here's how he became the maniac cop. And then, you know, we'd see all that play out. That's totally not what this movie is at all. It starts, he is actively maniac cop at the very beginning Yeah, and they keep his whole backstory and who he is, um, totally like, uh, they withhold all that until midway through until, you know, Tom Atkins does enough detective work and, and pulls it out. (laughs) Um, yeah, so yeah. I mean, like it's... ten ten people die in the first like ten minutes. That's what's kind of great is because they actually do a really good job of maintaining the pace, even though it's being this really Cohen-y thing. Like they just keep interspersing him just walking around the streets, just fucking people up. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Like as it's opening, it opens with that kind of mugging scene, and then the maniac cop eventually like murders that woman, and then eventually he's like going around to different neighborhoods, just like dispatching like basically he's like killing nothing but white people. And immediately that's kind of like triggering something to me as a viewer. I'm like, huh, this is interesting. Like, where are they going with this? But then eventually it gets to a point where Tom Atkins is like, he's only killing innocent people. And I'm like, great. What the fuck? <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah. Can't, okay. Can't that's that's really interesting. People, I had not put that together. That's kind of funny. Um, um, but like as the movie like progresses, like eventually like Tom Atkins, you find out that he learns who the person is that like basically is murdered first. Apparently he knows the bartender in the entire city of New York. He knows the one bartender who is killed. Yeah. So let's talk about this. So so the movie opens with this uh, bartender waitress or ever getting killed. And like, yeah, so she's at the morgue and then we're introduced by Tom at to Tom Atkins. He walks in the, he strolls in the morgue with his partner or whatever. And he goes into the most like, um, I don't even know what you'd call this. It kind of reminded me of when you see like a, parody monologues of somebody walking into a detective agency you know like a very noir like yeah i saw her there many nights she poured me drinks i knew she had something going on in her life but blah, like and you're like how she the fuck there's this. how many millions of people are in new york city tom atkins just happens to have written like poetry about this one bartender that now just happens to be dead 
that he's well, like, duh, it's Tom Atkins. That's true. Yeah, actually, he's written poetry about every bartender. <laughs> right. I was going to ask. Maybe so. he's just gone to so many bars. He just yeah, yeah. He's given bartender he gets murdered. He's Tom like, Atkins is going to have yeah. a connection. He's like, ah, yeah, exactly. Um, but right, I, and it was funny because I mentioned that scene over email, and Andy was immediately like, yeah, I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, it's a scene. He launches into that diatribe in a way that you feel like you should rewind it. Like you missed a scene before that, setting it up like that they know each other or something. <laughs> There's a lot of that throughout the movie, though, where it's like, wait, did they explain that? Or like, yeah, like yeah. the maniac cop himself. It's never really. Like, I was waiting because he's clearly supernatural, right? He's like bulletproof and super strong, and they well, say that's, he's cold. That's the right. sequel. <laughs> Question mark, right? Uh, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe they're holding that off for the sequel. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm excited. Well, because to see they kind of show him being killed, but they don't. And I thought maybe I missed it, but they don't really go into like what happened, well, yeah, how he ended gets, up, he how he does. He in prison, and and uh, the uh, the I love the way that scene is shot. By the way, there's a really yeah, he says that he gave her he, he gave, like he was nearly dead, and so he released the body to uh, the his lady friend. Yes, and uh, and then somehow <laughs> and something then happened. Magic, but that scene yeah. I love the way that scene shot, and it's actually like when I say that Cohen or uh, that Lustig like, and you see. I just haven't seen a lot of his movies, I guess. I'd have to look at his filmography to see what he what he's done. But like, you know, Maniac is a movie that's really rough around the edges, but actually has a couple of really cool sequences and shots in it. And here it's like everything is really inspired. Like this prison shanking scene, there's this really great shot at the end, like point of view shot of him getting shanked, but then like there everybody's doing these really like artistically like timed swings at it at him, but it's you because you're like in the camera. There's, just, there's shots like that are littered all throughout this movie, like almost too many to count. It's really cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. And just uh, if if you allow me, I have a brief quote from Hollywood Bloodshed, Violence in 1980s American <laughs> Cinema. Please. Look at this guy. And all right. So this is a statement from William Luster, director of Maniac. <clears throat> the most important element of a horror film is the special effects. They're your money stuff, so you can't scrimp on them. The audience has already seen the best and expects nothing less. And I've had like a couple other quotes like from him and like we were sharing around like an interview and that's very much kind of like his mindset. Like he's just yeah. like trying to like show you something unique, but he's developing like his visual language in a way that in which he thinks the audience is going to react to it in a powerful yeah. way. Interesting. And that like um, the like prison shanking sequence that we're talking about like part of the reason why it looks the way it does is because it actually is like set in like the maniac cop's dream. So it's yeah, him like dreaming about the sequence. Yeah. yeah. There's a and, lot of those filmmakers from that area, like with Lustig and like William Henenlotter and stuff like that, that I think you could probably connect back to that grindhouse area era throughout New York city and stuff like that. And I think they all had that same kind of work ethic to them on when they were creating movies. It was to, give the audience what they want but more than the last time well that's kind of my point just, though and maybe this is just i mean just my thing because i haven't seen a lot of his movies i hear william lustig and i think of maniac which you don't immediately think of like artistry when you think of maniac even though there are some cool shots in it so i just like that's why i was a little taken aback by how visually striking this movie is well i'm looking yeah. at his filmography right now and the three Maniac Cop movies are about half of his entire filmography. <laughs> right. Maniac, a few things I've never heard of. And then he did, I did not realize this, he made that movie Uncle Sam from the 90s. 
Yes. Which was, uh, yeah, you remember like the, the uh, killer uh, Uncle Sam? Sam is, a, Uncle Sam is lenticular. There you go. It had a lenticular yeah. VHS cover. It's literally unwatchable. It's one of the worst fucking movies I've ever seen in my life. It's very bad. <laughs> it makes a good double feature with uh, Jack Frost. Yeah. No, I mean, that <laughs> the, the lenticular series. But right. I, and to see, I've seen the two sequels, and they're pretty decent. I mean, like as this as this film progresses, I mean, like eventually you get to a point where, you know, Tom Atkins is kind of like your hero cop, right? Like as an audience member, you think like he's on the case. He's going to figure it out. Richard Roundtree plays the commissioner. They have like a weird scene where Richard Roundtree like reminds him of his suicide attempt out of nowhere. Like, <laughs> and then he tells bizarre. him to smile more. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then Tom Atkins gives that unbelievable, like, fake smile. It blew me away. That whole scene with the dialogue in it, though, just between Atkins and Roundtree sitting in that office was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fun watching the two of them, like, kind of play. Oh, off they're each great. Other. Yeah. Richard Roundtree's all. I didn't I actually didn't realize who that's who that was, but they're awesome together. Yeah. No, yeah. this movie is stacked with, like, badass, like, actors. Yeah. Well, because it there's a billion characters in it, so you got, you had to like go get people, yeah. right? It's <laughs> yeah, so funny it, to me. Much. It's so funny to me how, I mean, I guess I get it, but just like even at this point in the '80s, where Tom Atkins was starting to like look older, like just every movie, they're like, we need like a cocksmith. Like, who are we gonna cast in this role? And there's, I know just the guy. He's he's on speed dial. Eric, I do have to ask you a question, though. Maybe this will be an off-air question. How many news anchors will meet a cop at a bar, have several drinks, and like take a story back to the well, newsroom? Well, okay. So, you know, <laughs> it's interesting you say that because I never worked in 1980s news, but I will say that in modern news, news anchors do not write stories. So the idea that like a news anchor's breaking a story in general was funny to me. But I was six years old when this movie came out, so I don't know... I've heard stories of the 1980s news business, Andy, and it sounds pretty wild. I know there was a lot of cocaine involved, so uh, who's to say? But I, Fair. but I did find that aspect of it pretty funny. <laughs> as soon as a news anchor character was introduced, it's like, gotta ask Eric. Gotta <laughs> so let's talk about. I want to talk about Bruce Campbell's wife. So like, yeah, in the beginning of the movie, Bruce Campbell's wife. So Bruce Campbell's like suiting up to go out, and then she just comes out with this monologue that you could tell she fucking, this actress practiced in the fucking mirror for months beforehand oh, about yeah. how, cause she, it's a weird thing where she kind of thinks he might be the maniac cop. I feel like, right. Were you getting that, that vibe scene, too? That scene is so weird though, because it's subtle, it, like, though. it withholds from showing Bruce Campbell's face. And I was like, is he going to be like scarred or something? Because like they're showing him from behind. No, but and that's really cool from, like, because they do that with other cops too. It's like, they shoot some of the other cops in the same way they shoot the maniac cop. And it's like, I don't even know if they're if they're meaning to make try to make people red herrings, but they're definitely trying to frame the other officers in uniform the same way that they frame the maniac cop because it's totally oh, shot yeah. the same way. Which yeah. you don't you don't know who to trust, right? That's Which the, is like kind of fear. yeah, like to Casey's point, like that's kind of one of the movie's more interesting like aspects is, and we can like talk about this further, but like as the movie progresses, you start to realize that the police force who ostensibly is the center of like power and control and safety. And that is trying to find out who this maniac cop is, is very resistant to the idea that it, it could potentially be one of their own. And the movie definitely like plays with that a little bit. I mean, not yeah. with too much nuance, but it's there. Um, but Eric, to your uh, point, oh, no, the actress, just, just funny. actress so, here is Victoria Caitlin. She is so dramatic in this monologue where she's coming at Bruce Campbell. She's like, why are you always working overtime? Like, I don't like when you're working at night, which is just that like 80s dangerous New York City thing, you know? 
And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing, I'm on a detail. I got to go. So then in the next scene, she finds him in bed with somebody who we later learn is a cop. But like, she's got, she pulls a gun on him. It's like, I don't know if she came from soap operas or what, but I just like loved her vibe. Yeah. It's just so intense. I, uh, I can tell you, you mix in Bruce in that with that com- conversation and whatnot, especially when she's first introduced, she comes out like a soap opera uh, star. It's like, oh, I can't live with you working like this. And he's like, what? I got to work. <laughs> well, it's funny. She, uh, before this, she was in Ghoulies. Oh, nice. Uh, and then she went on to star in Twin Peaks. Ooh. Who is she? In, is she oh. the wife with the curtains in Twin Peaks? Uh, she is a character named Blackie O'Reilly. O'Reilly. <laughs> okay, I don't remember that one, but yeah. Yeah, I have not seen Twin Peaks nearly enough. I've uh, seen but the yeah, first no, season. It's, um, well, like, and it, the other thing that's interesting about her introduction is part of the way we as an audience are seeing her second guess the identity of Bruce Campbell is the fact that she's like saving the news clippings of mm. the maniac cop, yes. which is again, like kind of back to that Larry Cohen style of writing where he's like, I feel like he's just thinking 12 steps ahead with everything he's doing. There's a but lot of the great foreshadowing six. But yeah, but then well, he loses the he gets six steps in. He forgets where he was. It's a like, little yeah, kind of like now that you kind of say it that way, it's a little George Martin esque of like, just planting a million seeds and then at the end being like, wait a second. <laughs> I don't yeah. remember where I went with that <laughs> I, thing. I forgot a seed But somewhere. it's, but it's like, it's and again, it's like, I didn't understand this until I watched that last drive-in episode about Q the Winged Serpent because Joe Opperg, he's just so good about pontificating about that specific Larry Cohen thing. And then to hear that and watch this, it's like, you see it. It's so fucking unique. Look, didn't he do the yeah. stuff too? Yeah. Didn't he write the stuff or something? He, he wrote and directed the stuff. Yeah. yeah. So like, well, he was a- that's, probably primarily a writer. More again, than a that's he very. Wrote, that's he wrote very, like westerns and and cop shows and things for TV for like all throughout oh, yeah. like the sixties. It's and just 70s. like it's so unique, right? And it's like Shelton, you're talking about. You kind of just expected to see a slasher or something, but what Cohen does, it's like these are real characters with like real motivations and pathos and like complicated lives. Like you did not see this shit in eighties horror movies, and it's super easy to see why there's so much so much reverence for this guy's body of work because it's so unique like you could spot you could spot a movie he wrote from a mile away i feel like once you see it well and we're kind of suckers for that because we're always talking every week about how much we get into the characters character development and stuff like that and so he when you see him as kind of the master of it we're just kind of like reveling in christmas morning it's like oh this is awesome yeah it's everything we wanted Do we want to talk about, oh, you know what I really wanted to mention was Tom Atkins' awful shooting technique. So there's only one scene that Tom Atkins shoots in, and he's literally like jutting his arm out wildly in the direction he wants to shoot it. And I'm like, he's so cool normally. And in that moment, he looks like the biggest doofus I've ever seen. Well, that makes the bullets go faster. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's so funny. Velocity. And there's another really funny scene, too, where um, uh, I guess it's Tom Atkins is stalking the evidence room lady and sees her meet up with the maniac cop. And that's when we learn that they've got this connection. And then she just turns and like fires off into the dark. Cause she hears a noise at like a metal, like you can't even see him. And she's just like firing shots into the air. And then she's like, Oh, it's just a cat in New York city. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but he's, <laughs> I mean, they do such a great job of location scouting in this movie. Some of the weird like construction sites and abandoned warehouses, especially at the end, just have so much character. Fun and fact yeah. about that's uh, what William he's Lustig. that's how he got his start location scouting location scout, yeah i mean that's what the sense. both of them really are so good at is like using the city as a character really leaning into the setting stuff 
for sure. Dad, do you think the city is a character? Because I agree with you. I think they did make New York City a character. Is that coming from Lustig, you think? Then the way he films it and puts it together and shows us New York City versus how Cohen writes it? Well, I think a lot of this has to do with, like, they probably picked very New York-y looking places. And then they clearly went to Los Angeles and shot the rest of it. Like, I don't think a lot of this movie was actually filmed in New York. But I think very key sequences were um like for example the one kill i can think of um the guy that gets like his face like smushed in like concrete that guy which when they cut to the next morning and there are people just like with jackhammers Should trying to get his out. body so i was good. laughing so my good. ass off so good um <laughs> but that happens outside of like the bleaker street cinema which was kind of like a sleazy yeah. art house theater and things like that so they're picking like very specific places like that yeah, they're sure. well, they're both very New York guys. One of the I mean, like, oh, of course, Serpent. That's a and it, super New York movie. Yeah, and again, like that's kind of what's cool is both New York guys with slightly different sensibilities coming together and making this just like out there thing. And I, my favorite little weird New York moment is like, and it's actually kind of quick, but he Robert Zadar attacks somebody at some point. I think it's I can't remember her name. I think it's the cop that Bruce Campbell's having the affair with pushes her out a window onto like a ledge, but it's this great like gothic. There's like a, uh, you know, a statue of a lion or something. And it's that great, like classic architecture. And she just has this little scene where she just kind of like is running along the ledge, but it's just like, you know, they picked that specific place because of how New York city it looked, you know? Oh yeah. Now, one thing I wasn't clear on, but the lady that Bruce was having in an affair with, was that the cop with the leg brace? No, no, that, no. <laughs> no, they're referring to that woman in the evidence room that's like older because then Tom Atkins is like, oh, yeah, she walks with a cane or whatever. But everybody yeah. in this. No, movie he the, the cop that he's having an affair with is the one that was working undercover as a prostitute earlier. Oh, OK. Which is kind of that sequence when they introduce her like it, you know, it's sleazy. And as you can imagine, like a scene like that would be. But I think like the introduction of her as that character kind of tells you a little bit about her, like having like not having fun with it because it's not a fun thing she's kind of sassy but like yeah like yeah, kind yeah. of like talks like talks i don't want to say that like, what am i trying to say kind of like makes fun of the guy that's like trying to like pick her the, up the, and the is like potential john kind of yeah. him. but it yeah. also totally the movie totally reinforces that like old 80s stereotype they're like oh if i ask if you're a cop you have to tell me because he just asks her and she's right. like you got yeah. me and he's like all right see you later and then they just kind of like joking i'm like i don't think yeah, that's it, how it works it's like it's like they've done that 10 times this week well but alone. like in modern times you only hear that joke like fully played out in a postmodern context of like like i think of that there's like that breaking bad episode where the guy the guy like asks if he's a cop and he's like yeah man i have to tell you if you ask me and it's like but it's always used as a joke because that's not true so it was really jarring to see it in a movie where they're just like, yeah, no, if you just ask me if I'm a cop, I have to tell you. It's funny to see but it like taken also, all the way back to like the deconstructed version of that joke. She was also a badass cop though too, because like at the towards the end there when Robert Zedar takes off with the paddy wagon the first time, the way she comes charging out of the building and corralling uh, young uniform cops and like follow that dude and judge diving in the windows and shit was pretty well, good. But then, like three scenes earlier, when uh, when Bruce Campbell is escaping from jail, she's like walking into rooms and seeing dead bodies and just like shrieking, and it's like <laughs> this is a police officer, but she's like just like losing her shit when she sees a dead body. Yeah, it's it's very much 
her character in particular is very much directed to get certain things that producers think they need in a horror movie. Like, mm-hmm. I definitely feel like that that's the lady kind of oh, yeah. I mean, she and she's on screen a lot, but she probably gets the shortest shrift as far as just like character development, honestly, and yeah, like totally. actual yeah. kind of like real things to do in the plot. It, but it, but it is because it's unique. I really enjoy her and Tom Atkins working together to try to get Bruce Campbell out because I guess mm-hmm. they know each other. Yeah, they kind of know each other. There's a great scene where uh, Tom Atkins visits Bruce Campbell in jail, and Bruce Campbell's like, "There's somebody that can vouch for me, but I don't want to pull her into it." And Tom Atkins is like, "Dude, you're up, your ass is up against the wall, dude. Like, just tell me." And he's like, "Well, she was with me," and he says her name because she's a cop, and he goes, "Well, congratulations, buddy." <laughs> I love that. <laughs> she was a bartender before she became a cop. He was like so best Tom kept Atkins. secret in the force, I guess. Like it was just a really funny dude moment. I felt like they had with each other. It was like nice. <laughs> and most of the, like the police department didn't like Bruce Campbell's character, the cop. Right? Was it because of the uh, affair or something else? Because it seemed like every time somebody brought him up, all the cops were like, "Ah, fuck that guy." Yeah, I think they just like all assume he's the killer and like giving cops a bad name. I think that that's what you're supposed to infer from that. But I don't know. <laughs> who knows? For all I know, there could have been a whole subplot where Bruce Campbell and uh, you know Tom Atkinson had a Tom Atkins had like a whole story together. I mean, it's hard to imagine they leave anything in the cutting room floor, but there must be other subplots somewhere, right? Like sitting in a vault yeah, somewhere. Yeah. There must. Yeah, be. It, well, it's it's funny. It, I guess it is only eighty five minutes long, so maybe there is a little bit. Which I got they very did sort of wrap it up really quickly. They um, totally the, do. the maniac cop got dispatched in a uh, kind of hilariously quick way and that's another bananas ass that's another bananas ass stunt like they drive that truck from like 40 feet above the water and a stunt man who is supposed to be i think bruce campbell he's like he's riding on the outside of the truck and pushes off and does a backflip off of the truck as it's flying off this ramp and then lands in the ocean like oh yeah it it is so scary to watch my like (laughs) stomach like dropped watching that i was like he's too close to the thing he's too close get him out (laughs) Um, we do got to talk about the Maniac Cop's origin, though. Sure. Um, so as the film progresses, you eventually learn that the Maniac Cop is a, a police officer, former police officer named Matt Cordell. And Eric, you had a great joke about that. Matt. You know, the classic slasher name, <laughs> Matt. Jason and Matt and Freddy. Um, and so at this point, I kind of lose track of what the movie's trying to tell me. Apparently, Cordell was sent to prison by the police commissioner and the mayor for reasons unknown. The most we get... No, somebody mentions he was trigger happy. His methods were too harsh. Yeah, or... But he got things done. Yeah, like, all the all the cops that are talking about him are like, oh, he was just one of those old school guys, you know, the shoot first, ask questions later type. Yeah. You know the guy. Well, and they're he was all like... like a, he, he was famous can... enough that in the newspaper, like they would just say, Cordell got another one. <laughs> there was one where they had like, where, like how had, many like, cops do you know? They get articles written about them. <laughs> no, it is confusing. Know they're like, celebrity cops, but yeah, like, I think that that fact that it's, it's kind of comes out in Reagan's America. There's obviously like this kind of fetishization of, of law and order, but Larry Cohen, like clearly a liberal guy. I don't know. It's very hard to understand. I do agree. It's like, I don't think there is a message, but like, I do think that part of it is the idea that at the time, this idea would have been so shocking. Like a cop yeah, who kills people, like, oh my God. But like this movie would mean something completely different nowadays, obviously. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's not I mean, even like, 
But the movie, as weirdly deep as the movie is with character shit, it's not addressing that, even though that's like kind of the biggest thing in the room, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I think it's, I think it has to do with them as filmmakers knowing that they could probably push only so far before they have to like actually take a stance on something and they are kind of straddling the fence on it. I mean, like, and I just think that that's kind of what they're thinking about trying to sell a movie, you yeah. know, looking at their uh, particularly like Lustig's previous film, it was like a huge financial bomb that basically ate all of the money he made on Maniac. So essentially they're like, we need to make a movie that's going to make money. So I, they're trying to have it both ways with us, it seems. Um, but as the, all right, so you learn that Matt Cordell, future slasher, is going to jail, basically being put there by the police commissioner and the mayor, specifically so other inmates can kill him. Right. And this is all kind of revealed to us in like some dialogue, some exposition. But then we see the um, like kind of like shower shanking scene that we've been talking about throughout the course of this episode in a dream that Cordell is having. Then as it progresses, Bruce Campbell and Officer Mallory go to the prison and talk to a doctor who says, wait, he wasn't actually dead after the shower shanking. <laughs> but, and then he's but, just alive and all scarred, but, I guess. but earlier in the movie, they make it a point to be like, he wasn't breathing and his hands were cold. So like, he's not, al I mean, the movie's telling me he's not alive, right? Like, yeah. And like officer Mallory, like shoots him, shoots him, shoots him like a bunch of times. I'm so confused. Well, he's also like <laughs> lifting people with one arm and, you know, throwing them like, you know, yards away. Well, I like the fact that, <laughs> that 1980s New York prison system and that guy, you know, gets shanked in the <laughs> shower and the doctor's like, well, I think he's dead. And then he finds out later he wasn't quite dead, but eh, fuck it. He's already gone. <laughs> what do you expect yeah, what, what me to do? this lady take him? <laughs> Those chest compressions that doctor starts doing on him are just <laughs> wild. The wildest thing. Very much so. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we uh, wrap up the review here? I can tell you that the uh, St. Patrick's Day parade scene was one of the first things that they shot. Basically, they told Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi to come on down and just kind of run around this crowd and record some dialogue. And they were going to use it in a movie called Maniac Cop. Huh. Yeah, we didn't even mention that. Yeah, Sam Raimi is in this for uh, a yeah. few minutes. Just uh, I guess because they're like, "Hey, come, come, run around and say some shit." Oh, I know a topic that I'll bring up though too, because like Eric, you're talking about how this movie plays a little bit different nowadays, but it's also been pretty big news for a while that uh, Nicholas uh, Winding Refn is turning this into a TV show. Yeah, I mean that's pretty weird timing for that. Which is but I, look, like I, I mean, I'm a person who firmly believes that there's a line clearly right on some things, but like I'm capable of watching a movie given the context of its time. And that's the thing about this movie is like, there's nothing offensive in the movie. It just deals with subject matter that you just look at differently now. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> but there's to say like certain Disney movies that were offensive at the time and are way more offensive now. Right? Like, but that's not what this is. It's like, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, I and also yeah. it's an exploitation movie. It's kind of just like this goofy slasher. Like I was a little reticent getting into it, but really I found it easy to just kind of slip into it and enjoy the movie for what it was while still going through that thought exercise of like, huh, this does obviously look different through a modern lens. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Well, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, it's the they're not saying cops are evil or New York City cops are bad or anything like that. There were a lot of good cops trying to track this guy down. There was a bad apple that they, you know, they're trying to sniff out there. So it's interesting because it's going to be hard to see it. Just to see how Nick, like Reffin, would do this in a TV show in modern times, especially with the climate we're in now. Whereas I think he could do it. The potential's there because the story's not railing on police forces in general. It's just going to be curious to see how they I mean, walk that tightrope. But like a series too, it just sounds really weird. I don't, I don't see how that's going to work. But... Well, he, he is known for his, uh, you know, for his good judgment and uh, for his. <laughs> Subtlety. I was going to say, I'm very, I, I was very much enjoying the look it's on Shelton, like what Shelton's Danish face. Guy is going <laughs> to yeah. uh, handle this with the the most sensitivity. Well, exactly. Bef- yeah. Be- before I forget, this um, uh, interview that like I'm kind of quoting from, it's in a magazine called Psychotronic from 1995. You can uh, find archives on the internet. Yeah, I wish I, you sent it. And I was going to read it today, and then I got distracted, but I wasn't. I wasn't able to. But yeah. Eric, this archive is going to be something right up your alley. You are going to be able to spend a lot of time with us. You know, this. I have. This may not surprise you about me, but I have like a lot of problems reading digital. Like I want to hold. Like I have old Fangoria's that I'll read, but I mm. I need to hold it, Andy. Like it's like a tangible sure. thing. I, I will that. say this yeah. archive thing had a cool. This thing you sent a cool page animation, which I was pretty into. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Maniac Cop. I guess that that wraps it up for that review. Would you recommend it, uh, Shelton? Yeah, totally. Casey. Yes. Andy. Only if you're like a Cohen completist, you don't need to really seek it out. Really? Oh, come on. I don't bro. think so. Okay. No, it's yeah. I'm going. Really I'm going hard in the other direction. People need to see this because it's fucking awesome. And it's on Shutter, and both sequels are also on Shutter now. So yeah. there you go. Uh, all right, guys. It is time. Let's do some fan mail. She was the prom queen, but couldn't handle the heat of the moment. Now she's back, and she's still burning mad. Sometimes bad girls have all the fun. Say hello, Mary Lou. It's prom night, too. Next. Hello, creeps. It's John Kissier, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, and I'm a friend of BloodyGoodHorror.com. <laughs> John Shelton. Yes, sir. Why don't you tell me about this little thing you do with Andy, this this sophistical thing. You guys are the OG Bloody Good Horror spinoff. So very briefly for people who don't know, if you sign up for Patreon, you get access to the feed that gives all the spinoffs. So that's how you would get sophistical. But why don't you tell tell the people out there in TV land what that is? 
Yeah, so Sophisticult is a podcast we've been doing for a while now. Um, that is uh, where the art house meets the grindhouse, if I can remember our uh, our slogan. Um, and yeah, essentially we, we cover um, a newer movie usually that is um, in some way of interest to the cult genre kind of world, uh, but not necessarily a horror movie. Um, so we'll do uh, sci-fi exploitation, uh, general weird, artsy, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, well, weird usually, is my favorite genre. Weird, yeah. The, the weird genre. And, uh, and yeah, and, and usually we'll do like, uh, we'll do a newer movie plus like a, a classic pick. Um, and we've got a, uh, another episode that we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks um, for the hottest movie of the summer. Um, one of the four movies of the summer. Um, it's a Netflix thing called Project Power. That's uh, it's got Jamie Fox and and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's kind of a superhero kind of thing. It's directed by Ariel Shulman and Henry Joost, who are the guys who did Catfish, and then Ooh. they did a couple of the Paranormal Activities. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's hitting Netflix on the fourteenth of August, and uh, yeah, we'll be doing an episode. Uh, it'll come out shortly after that. Very nice. Gonna have quickly we can get yeah. our shit together. Uh, it was funny because I had you guys on just because you got I hadn't had you guys on in a long time and. Seemed like the perfect opportunity. And then we started talking about the movie today. I'm like, oh, of course these guys would know shit about these people who made this movie. Like, it was actually kind of accidentally brilliant. So thank you guys for bringing your uh, knowledge to the table tonight. Yeah, and uh, if you want uh, more of that, Sophisticated Cinema, patreon.com slash bloodygoodhorror. Next up, we got a note from Sophie. August is Monster Month at Tweet with BGH. Last week it was Werewolves. This week we're going to be watching The Reef because who doesn't love a summer shark movie? The Reef is available to stream on Amazon Prime. Is that the one with... Uh, wasn't that the one with uh, Blake Lively? I think that's The Shallows. Yes, that's The Shallows. Yeah. I like that one a lot. Um, so yeah, you basically follow the um, tweet with BGH on Twitter, and then just like a tweet-along kind of thing. Check it out. And I know there's a bunch of people that enjoy those. We've also... I know we've said this before, but um, there's a crew on Slack that has been doing weekly last drive-in screenings on... Friday and then watch alongs like all week long people watch the movie chat and slack in real time. It's really cool. Lots yeah, of, I, uh, I, nice. <clears throat> excuse me. I dropped a, I jumped on the tweet with BGH for cursed last weekend. Oh, nice. Never seen it before. That movie is out of its goddamn mind. So that, <laughs> yeah, we, that came up in the show last week cause we were saying that Sophie was doing, it. I was just talking about it actually a little while ago. Um, I've never seen it. I probably should. It was Wes Craven's like thing after Scream, right? Oh yeah, you, you oh, got that see movie. It. I was just watching Scream today. Love it. It's a great film. Uh, we got to know from Alyssa. Alyssa, of course, is uh, spearheading the Bloody Good Horror uh, book club these days. Um, she's saying uh, we just wrapped up reading Victor Laval's The Devil and Silver. It follows Pepper. Have you read this, Shelton? Yeah, I read. I read it with the book club. Oh, look at you. We got a yeah, we got an actual books. book club representative here. Yeah, I'm reading books. I'm so proud of you, buddy. Uh, Check them out. It follows Pepper, a reluctant patient at a mental hospital in New York. While there, he learns that the devil lives in the ward too, and he's taking out patients one by one. They need to destroy him, but can the devil die? I don't know. It's a great question. Uh, in comparison with the previous month's book, We Eat Our Own, this was a far more successful read. I got invested in the characters and their lives in the hospital. I worried about their well-being, and when blank happened, I lost my mind. I chose The Devil and Silver for July because of letting the patrons vote. 
sorry, instead of letting the patrons vote because I wanted to specifically focus on a black author, I've also added more horror novels by people of color to our ever-growing reading list. I think this was a great choice. Laval's characterization is on point and is quiet horror paired with strong social commentary stuck with me the entire time I was reading. This month in August, we'll be tackling I'm Thinking of Ending Things by Ian Reed. I know very little about it myself, but I'm fine with that. Apparently it's buck wild, and I'm glad I'm going in somewhat blind. All I know is that the main character is heading to their boyfriend's families for the first time, and they're thinking of ending things. Sounds real cheery. Anyway, thanks for letting me take charge of this baby. Uh, reading is my life. It's a joy to share it with this spooky community. Um, so they're um, on Twitter, at BGH Book Club, on Goodreads. And of course, um, if you go to Bloody Good Horror, there's a link to that Goodreads. And I know there's a, always a um, bustling conversation on Slack happening with all these these readers. So uh, what, what about you, John? Did you like this uh, July selection? Uh, yeah, yeah. The Devil in Silver. Yeah, that was the second. It's the second Victor Lavelle book I've read. Um, yeah, it was good stuff. Very nice. I like I like his stuff. Um, yeah. All right. Awesome. I'm looking forward to the next one. It's um, it's apparently there's a movie of it coming out uh, pretty soon, directed by Charlie Kaufman on Netflix. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's it for email info at bloodygoodhorror.com. That was mostly just, uh, uh, you know, missives from people involved in the site. So you can feel free to email us. Casey, I know you pulled up Twitter. And then when you're done, um, I'll be Joe. And I pulled some some lightning round Instagram questions for everybody. All right. Yes, we do have a Twitter. You can follow us at BG Horror. Got a question to want read on the show. Hit us up with an Ask BGH hashtag that the kids are calling them these days. And we'll get you on there. First one comes up from at Fusil Toro, and his question is pretty simple. Straight to the point, what decades nostalgia do you find the most annoying? Great question. The 50s? Yeah, yeah 50s. <laughs> because That's exactly where I went. Yeah. it's just a generation I don't understand, and it's been used as a uh, cudgel against future generations ever since, right? Like, <laughs> And it's probably the nostalgia that's like the most rose-colored glasses, I feel like. Yeah, I can see that, especially from American films, but I get torn on that decade because, the, you know, you've got Hammer films in there, which I was a big fan of. So that throws me off a little bit. I'm going to say, like, 2000s nostalgia is starting to kick in, and that's just, like, baffling to me because that's, like, the first decade where I was, like, it either wasn't something that, like, has always been there that I grew up with or something that I lived through, and I'm just like, what, you know, I, I don't know what, this cartoon is i don't know what foster's house for imaginary whatever <laughs> yeah so that's that's just baffling for me oddly enough i think foster's home for imaginary friends is pretty great that's one of my favorites from delaney growing up shelton while we were watching cursed at the conclusion of the film i was like wait a minute do i miss 2005 why would i miss 2005 it was shitty nothing yeah. good happened then yeah, not a great year, actually. Yeah, wasn't that Katrina? And yep. like we we're not still great. Right in the middle of gas was several like wars, four dollars a gallon. Yeah, wars <laughs> and other things we won't talk about. Yeah, not great year. All right, next up we have at Nuke Spook. There, Eric, I think this one's directed at you. Can you recommend any good RSS readers? <laughs> Fuck you, dude. <laughs> I did actually eventually give up the RSS reader. I will say that, but I, I but I still do something. Account. I still do something that is probably a super old person thing to do, which is that I just have my websites I like, and if I'm bored and I'm, I just like 
I keep, well, I, I keep like them in my uh, Chrome toolbar. Like yes. just the list of websites that I like to go to. Like, is that just the modern RSS feed? Is that an old man thing That's to do? I have I no idea. A bookmark? A link? <laughs> yeah, but it's a te- but it's like a physical, you know, like I can see it on top of my browser there. I don't know. Yeah. You got to bump it to the top of the Or like I will actually, I will actually just like type the first few letters of an address in and just like hit enter. Yeah, that's my that's my usual go to these is, days too. Although semi dangerous, depending on what's in your search history. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up we <laughs> I have saw another that thinker uh, from <laughs> at Marcus UC twenty six. What's a twenty twenty horror movie you guys were excited to see this year that got postponed? Oh, oh Halloween, yeah. Halloween, dude, Candyman. Yeah. yeah. For other than uh, that, though, Candyman? I was actually which one, Shelton? Candyman. Yeah, Candyman. I'm not gonna yeah. say it again. Don't don't make me. Repeat don't keep saying. Can you say it four more times? <laughs> I was gonna say we're on we're on number three right now, so no more. Um, I was actually aside from those, I was pretty excited about Antlers too. Yeah, that one looked pretty awesome. Yeah. No Antlers, I'm way in on Antlers. Yeah. And Antlers got completely pushed to 2021, didn't it? Or is it still holding? I'm not sure. John's not here. I think he, Shars, Shars would know. I think yeah. anything that didn't cost over $50 million is now a huge question mark for any distributor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right, next up we have at Nuke Spook again. Joe asked twice, so here's another question. Who would you cast in a Maniac Cop remake? Who in Hollywood would possibly fill the role of the Maniac Cop's giant face? Uh, Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman. Uh, yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Man of the giant face himself. Yeah. I was gonna, and then and then still uh, make Bruce Campbell the cop cheating on his wife. Like, just go bring him back. I was gonna throw in uh, Patrick Warburton. Yeah, yeah, that would be pretty funny from uh, Seinfeld. I think I could see him in the in the the Bruce Campbell role. But who? Yeah, Yeah. like who's the modern day? Like, who would you cast as Bruce Campbell, and who would you cast as Tom Atkins? Because that's like pretty. What about well, Tom? don't you move Bruce Campbell to the Tom Atkins role, yeah, and then you that's... make Tom Holland the new Bruce Campbell? <laughs> okay, there you go. Okay, I kind of like that. But well, I want to. I don't know. I want... though, if Rappin's remake it, you got to get what's his name in there. Tom uh, Holland's the too here guy. Tom Holland's too pretty for the like. I, I need somebody a little more gruff than like Tom Robert Holland. Pattinson. He's pretty. He's yeah. Pretty yes, dude. Boom. Uh, done. Ryan Gosling, if, if, especially if Reffin's moving, it's got to be Gosling, right? No, I want I want our pats all the way. Bring <laughs> it. Casey, I think you just revealed the plot of that movie. Is actually going to be Gosling's going to play both the maniac cop and the cop hunting. <laughs> Could be. Wouldn't be surprised. Next up, we have at Metal Prof, old friend of the show. What is something that's going the opposite of what you thought it might in current COVID-19 situation? Mine is that I'm listening to fewer podcasts these days, which seems backwards. It's probably because I'm driving a lot less, but you guys are still number one. Thank you. I appreciate that because, like, uh, podcast listenership is down, man. Like, yeah, you know, we're still going pretty strong, but, like, you notice that there's a lot of people who, without a commute, just don't listen. And I guess, like, in the beginning, I was walking a ton, so I was still probably keeping up with my listenership but i if i really think about it like the ones that i was really crazy on uh like i'm falling off on those two but i mean you know whatever yeah i think that's a big one for me too and it's 100 percent because i'm not driving so i'm much. just saying you people out there who are still listening every week i very much appreciate you yes yeah we love I, you i definitely get this sentiment but i've actually been listening to probably like 
10 times more podcasts than what I did before this. Because before when I was at work, I had to be like very public facing and I was dealing with the public all the time and like doing all this other stuff. Whereas like now it's like I'm at home. It's kind of my comfort listening. And I started like going on longer bike rides and I could just like have like one headphone in and like listen to a podcast while I'm going. So in a weird way, like it's like ticked up a lot for me. Well, that's great. Yeah, I mean, my, all my podcast listening was always in the drive to and from work, which I'm I not mean, doing anymore. I mean, not so. all of mine, but I used to do a lot more just kind of around the house that I'm not doing now. But yeah, it's a different story for another day. All right. At BJ Allen writes, hit us up. And he says, just watched, rewatched Terminator and noticed something. Kyle Reese starts the movie by stealing pants from a homeless man. <laughs> and then despite having multiple opportunities to obtain fresh clothes, he continues to wear them. He literally dies in unwashed vagrant pants. Why? Yeah, he is just so, <laughs> he is disgusting in that movie. Like the whole movie. I am so happy. And Linda, ha- Linda Hamilton, Linda Hamilton, <laughs> has sex with him immediately after just taking those pants off him that he must have been commando in. Well, she doesn't have to go down. That's not how that works. What? I'm just saying, like, whatever. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Don't fuck with me, Andy. <laughs> well, yeah, I know the exact scene he's talking about because you can watch Michael Bean put those on, and I feel like you can just, like, hear him crunch against his legs as they're going up. It's no good. Well, the thing you got to think, like, in the future, um, you know, when Skynet has taken over, there's not a lot of laundry detergent out there. So probably for him, those are like probably the cleanest pants he's ever He was living life. in the post-apocalypse. That's a very good point, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, come on. Well, they're all they're all like that doctor who just didn't shower for three years, and now all of their biomes are like yeah, evened dude, out. That's so how, they listen, just don't get dirty anymore. Listen, that's how you – it's all about the microbiome, Andy. We, I want to talk about the microbiome on that prison shower floor. That's what I want to talk about. Mm. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right, we got two more. Next one is up from at Drake Dangerson one, and he asks simply, "Is he a maniac or just one bad apple?" <laughs> I'm not answering that, sir. Uh, yes, although I would say the question would be better: Is he a maniac, and is he dancing like he never has before? Also, a good question. Um, okay, well, thank you for that, Casey. We are on Twitter at BG Horror. We are also on Instagram at Bloody Good Horror. And uh, Joe has been taking questions on Tuesday, every Tuesday, even on his um, completely batshit insane vacation that he's on right now, where he visited the fucking spam museum like a maniac. Uh, He is still answering your Instagram questions. Joe's, we're going to talk about this next week when he's back. Joe's vacations literally look like my worst nightmare come to life. (laughs) And I appreciate that he likes them, but I get upset seeing that. Like, I don't want to see what he thinks is relaxing. I think that these are all pictures from a fake vacation, and he and John are just hanging out together. That would break my heart, Andy. Don't say that to me. Um, Yeah. So I literally – let me just check Instagram quick. I literally have just been taking screen caps of these ones as I've seen them. Um, So it's unclear to me. Like I have not really uh, vetted these, so I'm just going to kind of go through quick and see what we got. Um, what will be named Demon Semen first? A shitty horror movie or a weed strain? A weed, for sure. I that would make a pretty good horror, you know, good horror movie yeah. title. I could see that. It's the sequel Seed. to Demon Seed, right? Yeah. <laughs> what is 2020 anymore? Uh what movie should I watch once I get my outdoor projector set up? Uh my answer is Creep Show. 
because that's always the first movie I watch when I get something set up. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Uh, I have really good memories of watching Leprechaun outside for some reason. Nice. That would be up I there. like that. Yeah, the past few Fridays, we've been doing the uh, the last drive-in. Oh, dude, that. you should talk about it. You have like a pimping ass setup. Yeah, you know, we, we hang out in the pool and watch uh, Last Drive-In. Like, you've got a pool deal. with, like, an awning over it. Isn't it, like, you're in the <laughs> so south, jealous. though. Like, isn't it buggy when you're hanging out there at night? Uh, not too bad. Not after dark. The mosquitoes uh, the mosquitoes tend to come at dusk and then yeah, yeah, okay. go away. But, yeah, we're, we're coated in bugs. Well, we got some Tiki sure. Torch action, like some citronella action going on, or... No, we, we just, you know, you know, we just, we just deal with it. That's crazy, man. It's the biome. Texas. I respect it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, Joe's answer was Caligula. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> name a movie that you find pretty good that w- was given bad reviews. Hmm. Uh, this is easy for me. Book of Shadows. Blair Witch 2. Hmm. Yeah. One of the greatest sequels ever made. Fight me. Maybe not one That's of the greatest. That's a fair one. Godfather 2 is pretty good. <laughs> maybe not quite that good it's you know <laughs> book of shadows book of shadows yeah exactly and then spider-man what do you guys got what's a yeah. what's a critically panned movie that you guys love god i don't know if i ever have picked a hill to die on like that you should yeah, try it andy they're... it's really fun i know i really should it's cool. it's really um when it's you against the world it's exhilarating dude you might as well be doing drugs it's amazing well i this you've seen this how excited really... i get yeah this doesn't really count, but I just rewatched Enemy of the State for the first time in a long, long time, and that movie rules. Yeah, nice. But I think a lot of people still like it. Yeah, that's that's great. It's good stuff. You know, it's funny when I go to the theater. Well, when I used to go to the theater um, to see a non-horror movie and whatnot, most of mine would probably come from the non-horror movie side just because there's a lot of movies. I just enjoy going to the theater and watching an action movie sometimes and whatnot, and people tear that part up stuff apart and i'm just happy to be there and, and doing my thing <laughs> and enjoying a flicks so yeah 100%. i mean that could count for a lot of them i would go watch any fucking movie if i could go to a theater right now uh, i don't care what it is i it do the best thing in the world dude i would put up with like annoying people like bring your babies i don't care I'm <laughs> exactly. a last, last time i was in a theater i th- i don't know if it was the invisible it might have been the invisible man or something but like there was this like giant, really tall couple next to me making out and laying on each other, and their like feet were like up in my group. Like, I would take that right now. <laughs> I don't care. Sne- okay. I was gonna say All sneeze on me, but is- don't don't sneeze on me. I don't like that. Not, like not- there's a scene from like Revenge of the Nerds or something, Eric, in the movie, and just like a foot. It was like <laughs> they're the recliner, so you can open up the middle part and then just get weird with each other. And it's like okay, like that's cool, but I'm right here, so you guys can stop. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, it's fine. I just want to go to... Th- I'm with Andy. I'm down. Um, okay, next question. Should I break up with my boyfriend? What, to which I would say, if you need to ask that question, the answer is probably yes. Yeah. Andy, you look like you have a more innocent answer to that. Do what's inside your heart, you uh, know? Okay. Listen, if she knew what was inside her heart, or if he knew what was inside his heart, then they wouldn't be asking us. You could just go cheat on him with uh, Bruce Campbell. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Search Only your if feelings, you're a cop, Please, lady, though. Um, Joe's answer was depends. Does he like our podcast? Also, a good question. <laughs> uh, my favorite question of the night Can you describe how to correctly butcher a goose? Nope. Any <clears throat> any, any office fans here? No? Bueller? Anyone? All right, well, I'm not going to make Sorry, a joke then. No. 
You want to get a bucket for the blood and the guts is what I'm going to say. Uh, and that's it for, oh no, wait, there's more. There are more. I'm sorry. Joe, why don't you wash your damn feet? P.S. I love you. This is a great question. And I don't care that he's not here. It just needs to be asked. <laughs> I, th- I literally, do you wash, the worst, do you wash your feet in why, a prison shower? You were not around with this, Shelton? Like he, Joe just revealed that he doesn't wash anything. Like No, below. no, I'm, I'm well aware okay. of the, the, the Joe's unwashed feet saga. Yeah. Uh, the worst part about it is that now I think about Joe every time I wash my feet and I really hate that. Like, <laughs> I don't want to think about Joe in the shower, but here we are. Or if I'm a day where I'm like feeling really tired, I'm like, oh man. And I'm just like, no, I gotta, I gotta do it. Man, I hope Schnars doesn't hear that. <laughs> well, I'm always thinking of Schnars, so that's, uh, he's, he's going to get there. jealous. He's already there with me. It's fine. He's watching uh, other parts. Just spotted a new <laughs> car decked out in umbrella corporation stickers. Should I be concerned? Um, Joe has the best answer for this, which is yes. Virgins are way too frustrated to be good drivers. <laughs> uh, it is funny well, though. I, actually, I work with somebody. We actually got that one on Twitter. I don't, sorry to cut you off there, Eric. We actually got that one from, uh, at BJ ankles 23 on Twitter that, uh, showed pictures of the car. Oh, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> I, it's funny. I've worked with a person for years whose hood, old shitty car, the hood of their car is a huge Cthulhu decal on it. And like, I've never been able to identify who this person is. And it's really frustrating because I'm just like, they could be my people. They might not be. So I would, I don't want to come in too hot, but I'm kind of curious to like, you know, I'd like to know who this person is, but that's the craziest just, thing here. Here. There's a few, like, uh, I guess it's like car cosplays where they, they have like zombie protection agency, like, like all these decals everywhere. I guess it's like a thing. Um, yeah. I definitely told this story in the show, but one time, I guess it would have been last winter or fall. I don't remember what I was going to see, but I was leaving the theater at night, like by myself and, or no, I had just pulled up to the theater. And so I was walking in. Have you ever seen those terrifying, like sloth decals that people put in their windows where it's like, it's like a life-size looking sloth with like these demonic eyes. And it's just, it looks like it's hanging on the window and staring out at you. No. When I tell you, you that I that. almost shit my pants, <laughs> I have- Never been that scared as an adult in my entire fucking life and like was angry and swearing afterwards because of how fucking mad it made me that someone did this to me. It's fucking you know what, man. Eric, if you uh, go to that Cthulhu um, car and leave a note on it, we might have a reverse par- parking lot nymph situation. Hi, would you like to be friends? Check yes or no, or maybe. And then leave it on the Honda Fit. And then it's actually just Joe's car. Yeah. Uh, I know who sent this in. Why use guys upload ghost watch onto YouTubes and then just some guys talking and crap, <laughs> dude, the internet wants to know the answer to that too. And I, I don't have it. We, we should just upload ghost watch, I guess. We'll just like, it's already on there. That's, that's the best part. <laughs> if you understood how to use YouTube search fucking at all, you could find ghost watch in four seconds. Have, um, it reminds me though. I haven't, it. I haven't checked that page in a while. I should go check it. Yeah. I wonder what the down to upvote ratio is on that now. Yeah, Casey, do you want to go to YouTube and just search Bloody Good Horror Ghost Watch and see if there's any comments in the last like three months? Absolutely. That was probably the last time I checked. Um, <laughs> what What about a BGH take on host with CC's Ghost Door, Eric's VHS, Joe's Jenny Jones spot, and Schnarz's stash? Um, I haven't seen host, so I don't know. But I guess they, this person is casting us in a remake. We've had those moments for sure. Uh, this is a question after my own heart. Is there anything better than pooping at work? Hashtag paid to poop. <laughs> it's pretty high up there because you get a break. And it's like, if 
anybody fucks with you, just be like, yeah, dude, I was taking a dump. You want to talk about it more? <laughs> you know, you well, get even better working from home because you get to do it in your own bathroom. Yeah, I and, like that you know, too. That's, that's, but... really, that's the downside of pooping at work is that you're at work. Do you know what's weird though? I like enjoy it more at work because I'm at home, just like whatever. I'm at home. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's weird. That's interesting you say that because I don't feel that way, but I get it. That is true. Oh. I don't have to like sneak off to play games on my phone in the toilet. Uh, that's right. Right. Because you're just at home. You can do that anyway. Yeah, I could just, yeah. It, we do have a new your... comment, you guys, on the uh, Ghostwatch video. It was Ooh. somebody, uh, Mark Griffin, telling us, calling us sheeple. This is a mockumentary, but it's lost on you, Yanks. <laughs> Wait, sheeple. what? <laughs> you mean you it's not kidding? real? No. No, that really happened. Oh, my God. Sheeple. <laughs> sheeple and Yanks. Wake up. Uh, hey, hey, hey. For your own research, we're at 95 li- likes to 146 dislikes. Wow, that fucking hurts. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's brutal, dude. Yeah, ratio. That's what the kids call God it, right? God damn. Yeah, we totally did. Um, man, that hurt my feelings, Casey. Thank you. Um, literally I tell you, we need to just pivot to, to pirating films on YouTube. That's like the future of Bloody Good Horror. I yeah, think. 100%. <laughs> This podcast shit is dead. <laughs> oh, man. I love Ghostwatch. That movie's so good. I need to watch that again. Um, yeah. So I think I should start reading these Instagram questions every week because Joe always sounds confused when he reads them, but they're really very simple. So I don't I don't know what his deal is. But uh, John and Andy, thank you for joining us tonight. It was a pleasure. It's been Great a delight. Be here. It's been very nice having you guys on. I barely missed Schnars, and I think you guys know how important that is. So thank you, guys. <laughs> Um, don't forget patreon.com slash bloody good horror. You can get access to Slack, the watch alongs, the back catalog, some other cool stuff. Um, info at bloody good is email address. We don't know what we're doing yet. We're going to plan it this week. Um, and yeah, hope you enjoyed our show on maniac cop. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Farewell. Bye-bye. <laughs>